Welcome to Making Metric Easy, presented by Outlaw Technology. I'm Hans Dietrich. And I'm Brie Oaxaca, and each week we speak with the companies in the trenches of the seed-to-sale process. Today on our show, we'd like to welcome Brandon Basham, Systems Support Manager at Merrimed. Merrimed is a vertically integrated MSO in Maryland, Massachusetts, and several other states. Hi, Brandon, and welcome. Hey, how we doing? Thanks for having me. And Brandon, I know you know Dave Eagleson, CEO and founder of Outlaw Technology. He's here with us today, too. Hey, Dave. Hey, Hans. Hey, Brandon. How you doing? Good about yourself. Lovely. Brandon, a little later in our show, we'd like to talk about your work and roles at Merrimed, but we always like to also find about you as well and how you got started in the cannabis industry. What's your story? How did you start working with weed? I grew up in South Carolina, which was a pretty heavily illegal state. I always had aspirations to get with cannabis. Um, So once I hit a certain level in my technical career, I was able to essentially sell off a website and move out to California. And I dove headfirst into the processing side of cannabis, where I learned how to uh, make different types of extractions with the solvent and solvent list forms. I really held that as my go-to method of, of my cannabis knowledge for a long time. And then after leaving California, I ended up getting into more of a cannabis technology role. Got it. And what states do you work with now? Where do you, where do you live now? I operate out of Massachusetts and I work with Massachusetts, Maryland, Maine, Delaware, Missouri, Ohio, and Illinois. So you get to see how business differs from state to state. You know, I know you mentioned Delaware, so you're you're working not just with metric states, but also with a biotrack state. So are you familiar with both systems now? Illinois is also a biotrack state currently. They will be switching to metric, but uh, we do deal with the biotrack system in Illinois as well. Delaware is more of a, a lesser regulated biotrack market, whereas Illinois is a much heavier regulated market. So the intricacies in the Delaware system in Illinois really stand out um, and really cause a lot of headaches and hiccups. Yeah, Brandon, I was curious, now that you've had experience in, in both metric, and again, we call this making metric easy, I'm curious you know, how Delaware and doing it with, uh, with say, a barcode only versus the RFID affects your day-to-day or how your team is you know, leveraging that, because I know that's where we work with you heavily is is on the, you know, RFID Desperado handheld system. So I'm curious your thoughts. It drastically changes how we have to do our auditing processes. It actually adds a lot of time and labor to our auditing when we're not in a metric state due to the fact that Biotrack doesn't use RFID tags. So if we wanted to utilize that technology, we'd have to come out of our pocket and spend a lot of extra money to label um, every single item. That is one of the perks of a metric state is that all metric tags are RFID, which works perfectly with the Desperado handheld system. Um, It allows us to really go in and audit a room uh, at about a five times efficiency rate than we would if we were having to manually touch everything um, in a Delaware uh, or Illinois situation. I'm curious, Brandon, how long have you been using the Desperado handheld? Do Do you recall, I think you started talking with Dave... Was it a year and a half or two years ago? Do you remember, Dave, or Brandon, either one of you? Yeah, we're going on two years now. We were using a different company beforehand that just seemed to kind of have a bunch of issues. I ended up, I'm pretty sure I met Dave either at AnyCan or just found one of, because it was right around the same time uh, where we met each other and started working together. And I just really like the technology, the relationship that, that your team has with Metric is obviously a big plus for us, um, considering how most of our states are Metric-backed. 
Um, so it was, it just seemed like a fit. And then once we got the technology and saw that it, it did work much better than the previous company we were using, um, it was a no brainer. Yeah. I think it was Nikan up in Massachusetts. We, we, we do that show pretty much every single year and it's been a great show. Yeah. And I, the thing I appreciate about you, Brandon, was, you know, you do have a deep knowledge. There's no doubt about it. You really understand this industry very, very well. And I think one of the one of the key things for us is, as a company is we've really leveraged the key customers, licensees, folks like yourself to to even peel back, like, what else can we build for you? For example, you know, we recently, you and I got together with uh, Bree and Justin, our CTO, really trying to figure out how we might even help you guys on product level. You know, how can we help to tag or track or manage not only from finished goods, but even at your dispensaries? So, you know... Any thoughts on that? I mean, I know we, we chatted about it, but it sounds like I think you see the value in the RF beyond plants. You know, there are limitations to RFID technology, but I think once we are able to kind of uh, transcend those and really understand how it works, um, eventually having every product with an RFID tag is going to be the goal for most companies in the future. Most major retail chains are already doing that and as cannabis becomes more of a standardized industry and it has to be treated like a standardized business these companies will start realizing that inventory controls are going to be one of the most important things you know especially in a state a heavily state tracked or state compliant industry you need to know every single item at every single time brandon when you look at implementing those sort of automations into your full supply chain you know outside of just those metric tags and you know, all the way down to the item level, what's sort of your dream scenario when you look at your various states and your various uh, regulatory systems? Ultimately, you know, with technology, we want to create the least amount of, of interference with our operations, but provide the most amount of benefit. So if we were able to essentially add RFID technology and keep it with our same process of the standard printing and COA labeling that we already have, with incurring basically no extra labor costs and minimal extra um, you know, hardware or individualized unit cost, that would be our ultimate ideal scenario. Um, it's a win-win for everyone. It gets the products in the door, all RFID labeled. Um, the biggest question is, is how is it, it tracked and utilized after the RFID is, is applied? That would also be our ideal scenario. Uh, especially if things are being tagged further upstream, either by the brands at production or at distribution. I think it would make life easier for everybody in the industry, just as you've seen. I know you're aware, Brandon, how things are ha happening outside of the cannabis industry. Most people know that everything at Walmart now, except for pharma and, and uh, fresh produce, is, is tagged with RFID. <laughs> if Walmart's doing it, you know it has to be have an ROI for everybody. Uh, so my question to you, it sounds like you would like to see metric basically everywhere. It would, or at least RFID tags everywhere. The state traceability systems or track and trace that I have worked with, metric is the lesser of the evils, it seems. I would like to see metric in all states if it is required for track and trace um, as, as working with multiple uh, traceability or track and trace systems. I would say that metric tends to be the lesser of the two evils. I would say I'm not for track and trace as coming from a black and green gray market. Um, we want to be kind of outlaws in a sense in this industry, and we don't want the government to see. But I'm also a realist, and I understand that pharmaceuticals and stuff like that are tracked pretty heavily. Alcohol is tracked. So cannabis, you know, to, to be legal everywhere, it's going to have to be tracked. And so we, we have to kind of 
get on board and pick what's going to be the best course for everyone. And I do think right now with what is in the industry, metric would be the best traceability you know, solution as a whole. Yeah, it's funny. We refer to it, or I like to refer to it as the DMV of cannabis. I try and give a parallel, right? I hate to register my car. I hate paying for t- for tags and you know red- the fees, but it's a necessary evil. If I want to drive my vehicle, I got to do it. So yeah, I think metric has carved itself a nice niche. And I think metric, you know, not to kind of toot their horn, but look, they're the ones that created this system from scratch in in Colorado years ago. And I think they've evolved and I think they're doing a lot to continue to, you know, optimize the system. And I find it interesting that people now on their resumes have, you know, metric certified or metric proficient. So it's it's almost becoming like the Kleenex of of things. You know, it's almost like everyone t- refers to metric, even in states like Delaware. Well, candidly, having prior metric experience is one of the factors that that got my position uh, with Merimed. They were looking for someone who had experience with seed to sell and traceability. And luckily, I had experienced it at a previous company. Um, and it is in the cannabis industry, if you were in a metric state, it is probably one of the most important softwares to learn outside of the seed and sell. Uh, the idea is that you you don't really go into metric, but you still need to understand how it operates and how it connects to any other system that you use to report data to metric. I'm curious, Brandon, with all of your experience, if you had a direct line to metric, what feedback would you give them on their system? The system as a whole is solid. I would recommend being a little more open with their API endpoints. As a system that essentially recommends people layering a third party on top of them to get the full you know, function in the cannabis industry, they should have more open endpoints. Example, if you're trying to create products that require photos, unfortunately, you cannot push that through um, to, from most seed to sell platforms. You have to manually do it in both systems. So little things like that, that would just make the overall operational flow of the system better. And it would keep people out of that system. If you're recommending me to use a third-party integrator to layer on top, and you want me to be in that third-party integrator, don't require me to go into metric. That would be my biggest uh, recommendation. Brandon, I can tell from everything you've been saying that how much you understand the various processes involved in utilizing a state track and trace system, you know, we also view this as a means not just of track and trace, but also inventory control, as you know, which increases efficiencies. So at Merrimed, what do you think makes you guys unique? What processes set you apart, help you stay efficient? To be honest, it systems like Desperado. Part of our IT goal, we, we have a very heavily dedicated IT team. And our job is to make our employees and our consumers' lives better through our technologies that we use. So we use you know, systems like RFID technology. We use uh, Dutchie, Seed to Cell. Uh, we layer a lot of tech stacks together to be able to optimize what we do in every process across our board. Um, optimization is our true key. We're a heavily qualitative um, company. So we're very concerned with the quality of our outcome and not the quantity of our outcome which is why we may be in less states than some other operators, but the states we are in, we have very heavy footholds. Yeah, and I think that's critical. Look, I think the one thing that you know, you've taken on and Mary Med in general is that you realize data is critical. Knowing where your, your products are, you know, look, it's money, right? You're tracking money. Um, whether you want to call it cannabis, you know, uh, bud or whatever, it's still, it's a cash crop. So it's interesting because I think those that are really taken to heart, the fact that you need to, 
you know, put the time, effort, put the systems in place. I think, you know, the fact is, I mean, you can probably attest to this, Brandon, doing it hand manually has got to be a nightmare. I mean, I've seen it. I, I mean, I assume that even like some of your Delaware people are still manually maybe capturing weights. I'm not sure what they're doing, but, you know, it's got to be difficult. So I'm just curious, you know, you guys seem to be really focused on automation. Is that really a driver for you? Absolutely. Uh, well, let me rephrase. Uh, um, I'd say about 50-50. When it comes to automations, we we want to efficiency is key. We want to maximize efficiencies, but we also don't want to get to a point where we're essentially uh, killing jobs. You know, we're a heavy job creator in most of the markets that we're in. Actually, all the markets we're in, uh, we're very heavy in, in the job production. And so, we we when we look at automations. We look at what can I automate, but also keep the jobs available. You know, we could go very heavy heavy on automations, but we would you know kill a lot of jobs. Um, so we like to try to walk that balance between being a job creator and being a leader in automations and efficiencies with keeping those jobs. I like that. So Miramed is being socially responsible at the same time as putting weed out there, good product. Speaking of which, what do you consider to be Miramed's premier premium products and strains? It probably varies from state to state, but what's your favorite? The states that we process in, nature's heritage tends to be on top of the crop, so to say. And in those, we have a few uh, newer strains that are my favorite. Papaya melons uh, is a very, very yummy one. And then our mimosa is actually amazing. It's a really good daytime strain. It's a, it's a good you know one for the morning to get you really going, energetic, euphoric. I, I get really focused uh, when, I, when I utilize the, the mimosa. Pie melon's a little more on the heavier, fruity side, so it's it's going to hit you, you know, a little heavier. I recommend that more for a nighttime. I could have used a mimosa this morning. There you go. I might need a mimosa every morning. <laughs> it won't do the same as the normal mimosas, so that's the good thing. <laughs> and those can be found in Massachusetts and Maryland uh, currently. So, Brandon, what states is Mary Med looking to expand further in? I know currently you guys obviously are cultivation, processing, and dispensary, uh, but where's where are you guys looking to expand in the next five years? That I really can't go into too much information about, but I can say one of the main things we're going to be doing is further strengthening our footprints in the states that we currently operate in. And there are definitely some future plans uh, for some future states, but I just can't really go uh, too too far into that at this moment. I apologize. No, yeah, I understand. Uh, but the states that you're in, I know that the states vary. I mean, do you have some, I guess, just for the audience uh, and people listening, you know, how, what do you see? I mean, like, for example, I live in the state of Maryland. I know you guys have a very strong footprint in Maryland and it seems to be running quite well. What I mean by that is they're maintaining, I think, a license level that's acceptable. It's not like the price is dropping through the floor. You know, what are you seeing in other states? You know, we really haven't done much in like the Illinois, Delaware markets. You know, how does it compare? You know, that's a great question. Each market is very heavily different. Uh, Maryland, you've, you've already had somewhat of a price correction in Maryland, I've noticed. You know, I see 20 and $30 eights there. Massachusetts, for example, is, is starting to hit that kind of price correction where your top end brands are having to come down from that $50 standpoint. Illinois is, is such a crazy market because of the way the taxes are done. They're based on THC percentages. So you could have brands that essentially are a low price point, but as soon as they hit over 35% THC, like in any hash or concentrate or you know cartridges, any of those things, you're getting hit with almost 30 something percent taxes, which is is ridiculous. Whole different world in Illinois when it comes to um, you know price the price war, so to say. So in Illinois, that that just makes me curious. In Illinois, since they're taxing it based on THC percentages. 
Is there more of a focus on terpenes and how they interact with THC, where you can actually have lower THC amounts, but with the right terps, you, you still get a, a great effect? That is a great question, and you would think, but um, I would say no. Illinois tends to be ran more by the MSOs, so to say, and those MSOs there tend to be a little more quantitative instead of qualitative. So the products in Illinois, you have a lot more variation, and I feel like the market... I don't see as much high quality craft in Illinois. Um, it may be the area of Southern Illinois, but just, you know, comparative, you know, quality to quality, like Maine has some of the best quality in, in I'd say the Northeast. I won't try to get too virtual, right? Uh, <laughs> Mass and Maryland go back and forth. They're both, they both have some really good quality. Illinois, I haven't really gotten any really crazy good quality from there that I would be excited about. So it's the different market. Yeah, and you didn't mention Delaware. Any, uh, it's my neighbor's state. So I'm curious, what's the situation in your mind in Delaware? So Delaware was a much tighter market for the longest time. I think they had around three producers um, and processors there. Wow. So now they've opened up more. I will say this, our facility in Delaware has increased tenfold on their quality of production. Um, they are producing, we got some rosin not too long ago, and it was some of the best rosin I've had outside of like Maine and Massachusetts. Very impressed with the quality coming out of Delaware right now. Wow. That's good to hear. Like I said, it's interesting. I, I think people don't realize, I think those in the industry do, but I think everyone views the market being the same across, right? Like a Bud Light's a Bud Light, a Bud, you know what I mean? Or a Miller Light or a, you know, it's different. As you said, each region, it's funny as we we cross the country, outlaw that is, we have customers coast to coast. You know, it's a completely different animal in California, Oregon than it is in Maine, Massachusetts, <laughs> in terms of even regulation. Somewhat, it, it's interesting. So you know, I find it I find it just interesting that the market does kind of go state by state, almost country by country, if you want to look at it that way. Now, what is your thoughts in Ohio? And I'm kind of asking about the states because I don't think people realize. Like I always see Ohio as being very strict we know that they kind of track things pretty tightly. Is that your experience? Because I think you guys do dispensaries there, right? Yes, sir. We do have a dispensary in Tiffin, Ohio. Um, Ohio, I see as the most regulated market I have been a part of. They treat cannabis very heavily like prescriptions there. They're actually tied into the same system. And a person dispensing a medication at CVS can actually see the cannabis that you have been, uh, that you procured. So it's all tied into their same prescription monitoring system, and they're very heavy about how they track it. Their weight systems are a little odd. Um, they don't have official eights. They have what they call Ohio eights, which are a 2.83 gram one day supply eight. So there's little nuances like that. Um, but I will say, if you're going to say you have a medical market, they are the most, the truest medical market in in our in, it, it is the existence of cannabis right now. They truly treat it like a true medical platform. It's tough to get in. I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, I believe the cannabis should be allowed for everyone, 21 and up, and anyone under that that has you know medical issues because there's you know psycho non psychoactive forms of cannabis that you can provide, right? So, do I agree with how strict it is? Not necessarily. I'm very intrigued, and I do. If you're going to say you have a true medical platform, that is kind of the way to do it. Well, can you get insurance to pay for it then if it's showing up at CVS on your prescription record? That is a really good question. I have actually heard people say that they were able to use their HSA at some of the locations to get it. I That's not confirmed, but I did hear hearsay wow. of stuff that, like that. That's, that's really cool. I, we've, uh, 
you know, you, pr- you probably have heard this from, from us or from Dave, you know, we, we also get some inquiries from out of the country. And one of the countries that we've, we've heard about and had some talks with some of the people there is Costa Rica, and they have socialized medicine or universal health care. And they just went legal with medical cannabis there. And we were told that any patient gets it for free in Costa Rica if you get a prescription. So uh, I know a lot of people probably are going to move to Costa Rica now. We've talked a lot about, you know, the different regulations, in different states and, you know, Ohio with their medical and how tightly controlled it is. Brandon, with all the work you do in all these various states, how do you feel like these regulations directly impact the quality of the product that's grown? You know, you mentioned Illinois with the percent tax on the THC levels. I mean, do you feel that there are certain regulations that get put in place in states that just kind of are detrimental to the quality of the product produced there? Absolutely. That is a great question. And you you kind of hit it right on the head. So Illinois, Ohio is a good example. They're not allowed to have um, full one gram concentrates. They're only allowed to have 70% THC in their product. So what, what these companies do is they add uh, other cannabinoids or they reintroduce more terpenes. And so it, it absolutely affects the quality of product. In that market, you're going to get concentrates that are going to be completely unnatural from what they should be, so to say. Um, you know, when I think of a concentrate, you're essentially taking a, a, a flower and you're just making the concentrated version of that flower. So, uh, but when you start adding, you know, reintroducing more terpenes or then you re- you start adding um, extra cannabinoids to change the THC rate um, on, a, on a weight weighted base, it becomes more difficult to now, if I'm going to go to a different market and I look for that same strain, I no longer get that same effect. It really becomes different to create a standardization across like how you were saying a Bud Light's a Bud Light. Well, in theory, you would think a Blue Dream's a Blue Dream, but that may not be the same thing um, because of right. the different regulations. Um, in Illinois, you're going to have processors and producers who are going to be pushed more to do infused products and flour because they're going to be taxed less. So concentrates and vape carts are going to be, you know, they're not going to have as much care and, and probably get as much of a quality standpoint because you know they know that's going to be a lesser selling product because of how much tax is on it. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it even brings up another point that that we've seen all of us have seen is the lab testing, right? There's still question marks about the the accuracy, right? I mean, you now have Missouri wanting to do duplicate tests. You have the state of Maryland opening up its own lab because I think people aren't trusting some of these results. I mean, have you seen that? I mean, we've, we've kind of seen it, and I think it was in Michigan had a major issue. It's interesting where people, as they call it, you know, chasing THC, right? I'm trying to say I got 37%. No, I got 40 I mean, some of the numbers just don't make sense to me. When someone says that they have a 35% THC bud, and I look at that flower, and I don't see a third of trike, because essentially, if you're saying that you're at 35% THC, that means a third of that, that a gram is pure trichomes. So that thing should be rating keef, you know, it should be just loaded. It should be covered. I mean, I, I've, I've only seen, you know, probably 10% of the bud that's hit that mark actually look like it could be anywhere close. So I definitely think that there's an inflation of test testing data. Um, now, whether that's the labs, um, you know, there's a company back in Cali, I'm not going to mention their name, uh, 10 plus years ago, they were notoriously known for inflating their results because if your stuff tests higher, it sells better. You're more likely to continuously get your stuff tested. You know, now it's a little bit different with the required testing. So I think now it's more of human error. There was an issue in mass where a company put that their one gram concentrate had a thousand and ten milligrams of THCA with also some other cannabinoids. 
And we got based on, you know, just standard weight, that's impossible. And more <laughs> likely what happened was the the person testing it probably put too large of a lab sample in when they tested, got the numbers back. No one questioned it. And because it looks awesome, they went with it. Um, you know, someone who's any, anybody who knows anything would look at that and be like, that's that's it's impossible. So yeah, I think there's a huge, huge push now to really start to understand our testing. And I personally would love to get this industry to move from THC numbers to terpene percentages. Because if you can get, you know, three or 4% terpenes, you are going to have a high quality product, hands down every single time. Versus if you hit 30% THC, you could have 1% terps and it could be mids, it could be pure mids. Brandon, with your background in processing, I'm sure you probably have a much better handle on you know, sort of the chemistry behind the products and a lot of, you know, folks and definitely a lot of consumers. I mean, when you look at the testing that's done, I mean, do you see even standardization as far as like their methods of testing or does that vary between labs, between states? What's been your experience? As Steve Hill claims, you know, they have a standardization. They, they suppose we are getting this like 99.9, like a thousand milligram THC liquid that they get. That's how they calibrate their systems. But at the end of the day, you know, it's all humans that are doing these things. And so, you know, I, my question is, is I look at our facilities, right? And if I run the data and I see who makes the most error, it's typically the people who are paid the less. And that's not a shot against them. It's just that they don't, they're, they're not as invested because they're not paid to be invested. So then I ask who are running these machines at these labs? How much are they getting paid? Are they heavily invested in their job? Are they taking, you know, very good precautions in, in assuring, you know, the old saying is, you know, you measure three times and cut once, right? So that's one of the things I preach heavily um, in like my auditing processes. Um, and when I train people is to be able to double and triple check yourself, because when you report something to the state, it's reported to the state. I can't say whether or not somebody who's putting a, a lab sample is doing that same thing, or even if their SOP requires them to, right? So there could be a lot of factors that really go into why these this there's a, a heavy deviation and testing data. I can I can definitely see that. We've been getting a lot of calls from labs and we have some labs who have become clients because they also obviously have to conform to all the compliance regulations in each state and they're looking for ways to become more efficient too. Especially some of them are testing so many samples every day that it becomes easy to make mistakes. So our Desperado handheld is being used at labs as well to basically speed up the process and they're able to track things more easily and also just get more done with fewer people and save the time. So hopefully, you know, we can help a little bit in in, in lightening the load for them. Uh, Dave, I know you had a question as well. Yeah, it was interesting. You mentioned about, you know, you get what you pay for. And I think that's what you're getting at with, you know, people aren't paid necessarily to be super diligent in their data accuracy. We've seen the same thing. Like the reason we kind of created the tools that we have, like Hans just mentioned, Desperado is, look, you want a standard SOP. You want to be able to hand somebody something and say, go do this and let the system do the capture, right? Let it tell you the weights, let it tell you the plants in the room, that kind of thing. Because I agree with you, Brandon, look, if you're paying me minimum wage to do something, I'm going to do it, obviously, but my heart's made me not in it. I might be thinking about four other things. So, yeah, I think that's where I think we really push. So I'm curious, even with your experience, and I know you guys have had a couple of years with the handhelds. I mean, before even any technology, do you have a comparison? I mean, was it taking double the time or do you even have a sense of what savings you're getting? 
Well, absolutely. Um, a typical audit at our processing and cultivation facility would take, you know, a full-blown audit, not just a, a little spot check. It would take about five days really to to touch everything. Uh, now we can do an audit usually in a day. Nice. And it's less Great. people involved in that audit as well. Not only is it saving us time, but it's less people that have to physically do these audits. Um, we can have, you know, our QA, QC person walks around, hits up rooms every once in a while just to even spot check, you know, the spot checkers. Uh, the ability to do that without actually having to touch plants, you know, that's a huge thing as well. Yeah, it's funny. We have uh, some customers that will take the handheld. We uh, They call them the phenome hunter, right? The person says, go get me one of these. Go get me that. They'll load it in the handheld with the seek and find and just literally go find that one plant or one of those plants so that they can bring it back. Absolutely. Brandon, we've only got a couple minutes left here, but I'd like to make sure that everybody knows the brands that you guys operate under, where they can find you. So anything you can put out there uh, where they can find your products just a little bit more. And so they have all the names that you guys operate under. Absolutely. Uh, so Nature's Heritage is our main flower concentrate, you know, vape cart brand. It's it's a very uh, high quality brand, but we try to be co- cost conscious on that as well. Uh, we have an in-house brand called In-House. The in-house is our but I don't want to call it budget brand because we actually produce a lot of good quality stuff on that, but it's definitely the the more cost-friendly brand that we have. We do a Bubby's Baked Good, which is all of our baked stuff. We just rolled out some blueberry muffin bites, which are going phenomenal in all of our markets. And I'll tell you which markets in a minute. We have the Betty's Eddie's, which is award-winning fruit juice. Uh, we have multiple flavors of those. Vibations, which is our drink mixes. Uh, absolutely amazing drink mix. We have some energetic ones as well, which are good for the morning. Uh, Calm Fusion, which is like our tablets. And so those brands can be found in Massachusetts, Maryland, and Delaware currently. Excellent. And how best for people to contact you? What are your social media handles you guys operate under, website, things like that? Um, so uh, our so we have MerrimedInc.com, which is, is like kind of like our corporate website. And then each one of our brands has their respected Betty's, Eddie's, Doc, uh, And we also have social medias under Instagram under each one of those handles as well. Um, Betty's, Eddie's official, Nature's Heritage official. Uh, the best way to do it, though, is just, just literally if you go to Google and you type Nature's Heritage, you're going to hit everything we need. Uh, we actually try to do a lot of uh, SEO and 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 location pushing towards people. Um, so if you're in an area that has a dispensary and you just Google it, theory, the dispensary closest to you that has it should come up. We should talk with you about SEO. We're trying to figure that out ourselves. In, in any case, Bree, why don't you ask the final question? Brandon, we ask everybody who comes on the show this question. Bree, why don't you do the honors? All right, Brandon, the world wants to know, who is your favorite outlaw? Be it someone from history, fictional, non-fictional? Who is it? So I'm going to go a little offbeat um, to someone who people may not normally consider this person an outlaw, but I do. Uh, Seth Rogen. I think Seth Rogen is a cannabis pioneer and outlaw as someone who, you know, got into the acting industry and was very heavily pushed. He very heavily pushed cannabis and was, you know, definitely uh, probably not looked at in the best light because of it, but he stuck to his guns. And now uh, he's one of the, the the biggest cannabis activists I think we have in today's time and still has a highly successful and highly productive career outside of cannabis as well. So it proves that, you know, you can really be heavily cannabis focused and have it, you know, really be a part of your life, but then also be, you know, a family man, a highly productive businessman and in, in every aspect of a, 
what no people would consider, you know, a, a successful person. That's the first time somebody's named Seth Rogen as their favorite outlaw. I love Seth. And this is one of the favorite parts of the show for me. It's just so interesting to see who people's favorite outlaw is. And we've learned a lot actually about different uh, cannabis pioneers this show and that question we asked. So thank you, Brandon, for that. And thank you very much for being on our show. Well, thanks for having me. I had a, I had a blast. And thanks everyone for listening. If you have any questions you'd like us to ask on our show about compliance, metric, or automation, please email them to us at info at outlawtechnology.net. You can download past episodes of our program by going to outlawtechnology.net, cannabisradio.com, or the Cannabis Radio app for iTunes and Google Play, as well as subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Pandora, and Spotify. Thanks for listening, and be well.